Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word uh, given to us in the pages of Scripture and given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray uh, that both would be alive uh, to us this morning, that our hearts would be open to hear what you have uh, to say to us, uh, ingrain it uh, deeply within us, that we uh, may strive to enter through the narrow door uh, as you would have us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, last week I uh, preached the sermon and Andrew came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, you're not really known for giving light uh, sermons, um, which is sort of how it, how it goes with me sometimes. But, um, so all of life is, uh, repentance is, the, uh, is, a, is what all of life is. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I, uh, I, I said last week that Martin Luther, when... Uh, he nailed the 95 Theses to the door in Wittenberg uh, that he said, uh, the very first thesis said, uh, when, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he called for the entire life uh, of believers to be one of repentance. And, um, and I'll say this at the outset, that we tend to think of repentance in sort of a negative light because it, it's, we think we've done wrong and we're bad and we... Um, and we have, you know, so it's just, it's not a pleasant thing to think about repentance. But actually, what I want, instead of seeing it in a negative light, I want to see it in a, in a biblical light and to really see how it's, there's actually uh, incredible uh, grace given to us in repentance. We want to see that, and then we want to see uh, how to sort of uh, incorporate the biblical sense of repentance uh, into our everyday lives. And in order to do that, uh, we're going to take a look at uh, Luke 13, which you have uh, in your handout, and there's more up here if, if we need it. Um, so what we'll do is read a, a quick little paragraph and then um, talk about that. And then we're going to... Uh, we'll, so we've got three, basically three paragraphs that we're going to read and we're just going to uh, kind of go through uh, each one. Now, just to give you a little context, uh, the beginning of chapter 13 um, is really a continuation of, of a conversation that has been happening all through chapter 12 uh, where Jesus is talking about judgment. And... Um, and you know, a lot of times, what when when we read about uh, judgment in um, uh, in the word the words of Jesus, what he is doing is he's driving us really to the end of ourselves, to a, uh, to our need for a savior, and and and, uh, and he's doing that with the word of truth. He's saying very clearly that if you're not uh, right with God, that judgment uh, is coming. That um, and that's that's very. Uh, very true, and so that's really sort of the um, the context is is uh, a pericope, a section on uh, judgment. So uh, we'll read verses one through five. Anybody want to read that for us? Go ahead, want to read that. Great, great, sure. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and he answered them. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. For those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I told you this wasn't going to be a downer class, right? Um, how, so, Turner Burn, how, how do you, what, when you read that, what, what's your reaction? What, what do you, 
They're just we have a small enough group. We can have a have some conversation. How do you? What's your reaction, theologically or emotionally, uh, when you read those words of Jesus? Anybody? Pat Robertson must have missed those when he comes out. And, and, and sometimes he sings out the message after the tragedy that it happened because of um, the way things are, but it doesn't seem to square with what Jesus Now, why, why don't you think so? Because some people would take this text and, say, and actually say what you said. Like, I remember you said Pat Robinson. I remember, like, after the Haiti earthquake, he said. Specifically, and I think he also said the same thing after Florida had four uh, hurricanes come across. Um, but he said it's because of of the actions of those people. So why? Um, I mean, I could I could take this text and I could say, well, they didn't repent, and so they've come under judgment. Why? Why do you say that, that this actually says against that? Well, it, I mean, it, they're asking the power of and Salon fell and killed them. Um, do you think that they were worse offenders? No, so mm-hmm. since they weren't worth, I mean, it didn't happen because they were an offender. It must have happened for another reason. Okay. Good. Might have the same or different reaction. Because we're all offenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if uh, have you ever you've been have you ever been trying to explain something? You've been been talking, and and somebody hears what you're saying. Uh, but they they don't hear what you mean. They, they they hear they already know what they think about it, and so what they what they what they hear you saying is what they think that they already know, even though it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's called a lot of times that's called like being a parent. You know that's uh, um, you're telling something to your child, and they oh I understand, and they completely do something off, um, opposite. Uh, well, this happens to Jesus because Jesus is talking about judgment. And um, and he and so he's talking about judgment, and then so somebody sort of raises their hand and says, "Oh, oh, oh! I know what you're talking about. You're talking about like those people that uh, were that Pilate uh, killed and, and and mingled their blood with their sacrifices." And um, and that's not what Jesus was talking about at all. Uh, but they heard that through the filter uh, of what they already thought and that what what they thought was that popular notion that bad things happen to bad people like that that um, you when something happens that is really bad it's coming under it's because God is judging you God is sort of being just in the world and so those Galileans uh, they must have had something wrong Pilate killed them and then they surely just got what was coming now that um, basically exactly what you were saying uh, it's that uh, you know basically it's Says that this sort of an us and them mentality, and you still hear that. I mean, you, like if you may have thought, or you certainly know somebody who's thought going through a really, really bad uh, time and struggle, struggling the season of life. Think, am, I, am I just being punished? Like, is God out to get me, or is is something uh, going wrong? And Jesus actually says, uh, like you said, says says no that good and bad things happen to good and bad people. We just um, we live in a in a broken world, and good things happen, bad things happen, um, and so he breaks the notion that um, that bad things temporarily in this world happen as divine judgment. Now, I don't want to take God completely out of the equation; He can do what He wants. Um, but I do know that the judgment has has been given 
uh, on the cross. And so, um, so God also, I mean, he, he uses tragedy in such powerful ways. Um, so, and Paul says, you know, the, pre- the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed uh, to us. So, um, so Jesus breaks that notion that uh, that bad things are happening as divine judgment, but he also, uh, like you said, breaks the the notion that there are some who are in need of judgment and uh, some who are not. He says, uh, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And uh, we've had some teaching on on repentance, but what is what does it mean to repent? What is what is the um, at the very least, what's the popular notion of, of what it means to repent? So I put that into change your to change your behavior. That's right. You often hear like it means to to turn 180 degrees. To so if you're if you're acting in one way, to to make sure that you are uh, to repent means to to change and um, and to to not act that way anymore. If you're involved in some sort of sin, you repent of that sin, then you, the expectation is that you not follow that. Um, and that is absolutely what most, the way most people think of repentance is behavioral. Um, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy. Is what, you know, so, so when he comes, he needs to see what you're doing as evidence of, um, of your faith. And if he doesn't see that, then, um, then, you are, then you're going to face that judgment. Um, you know, another way, so under that definition, what Jesus is saying uh, is clean up, unless you clean up your act, you will all likewise perish. Um, in other words, you need to save yourself. Um, and, if, and if that's the case, then why would, why would we need the cross? I don't really have a good answer for that. Um, because you know, if, if the cross is, is you know, somehow it's, it's to get me from a D minus. I'm I'm not enough. I mean, I've you know, golly, I've, I, there are certainly a lot of people worse than I am. I mean, if I it's to get me from a D minus to an A plus, uh, then the then the cross is, you know, it has, it's going to have varying degrees of, of utility uh, for for people when we get to heaven. I mean, Caroline, you might be a C plus, and I'm I'm a D minus, and you can hold that over my head when we get to get to heaven, and and. But but the truth is the cross has the same utility for everybody, um, in in uh, uh, in in heaven, because we're all F minuses, you know. And, and when it which is, sounds so awful, but it's really it's really just the condition that we're born into. It doesn't mean you're a wicked, awful, bad as bad can be uh, person. It just means that we all stand to face uh, judgment. When um when uh, if so repentance is often understood as amendment of life. Uh, you change, change your behaviors. Reformation. And if that's true, then the burden is on us to act in a particular way in order to avoid uh, judgment. So, um, so we're going to read uh, verses 6 through 9. Can somebody do that? Can somebody read verses 6 through 9 for us? Yeah, thanks, Ellen. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come to eat fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Okay. So this parable of the barren fig tree. So in the midst of... Um, Jesus, Jesus said, 
they they have said to him, "Oh, what you're talking about is, um, is like the gal. You're talking about judgment. So you're talking about the people who have done bad things, who bad things happened in like judgment." Jesus says, "Unless all of you uh, repent, then you will all perish just like they did." Which is not to say that a, a tower is going to fall on on you, but uh, that you stand uh, under God's judgment in the same way that that those people did. So, he, so to illustrate that, he tells this story of the barren fig tree. And the master, the, the owner of, of uh, that keeps coming back for the, to find fruit, uh, it represents God the Father. Uh, the fruitless tree represents uh, each of us. And, then, and the cutting down of the tree represents God's uh, righteous, his just judgment against uh, sin, against uh, fruitlessness, if you will. But the vine dresser uh, represents Jesus. And so, um, he said that that uh, the vine dresser, uh, he, he tells the vine dresser to cut it down, wash it, use up the ground. And the vine dresser says, um, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and I put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So, there's a, the vine dressers ask the master for a period of patience. Give me a year. And I'll see what I can do with it. And the vine dresser digs around, and he prunes, and he takes out, uh, you know, some rocks uh, and some bugs that the tree has come to really love uh, in his in, in the tree's life, but the, the, that are that are keeping the tree back from from being what it really ought to be and what it was created to be. And um, there's these unhealthy unhealthy things. And then the vine dresser gives it the proper uh, nutrition. Uh, you think about you know the phrase garbage in garbage out we the things that we bring into our our lives um, uh, are often the things that they come out and so Jesus actually gives uh, gets now he says I'm going to put on manure which sounds yeah that's that's just an agrarian um, uh, metaphor that he's using they would have gotten so he's getting the really the nutrition that they need uh, so that they can begin to br- uh, produce fruit and not wi- not right away necessarily uh, but in their season uh, the tree begins to grow fruit. It's interesting to me that his picture of repentance is the care and nurture of the vine dresser. Why, why would Jesus say, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish? He talks about the fruitless tree and essentially saying to a tree, quit growing apples and start growing oranges. And, you know, a tree can't just make a decision like that. And um, what ha- a, a, an apple tree produces apples because of what's on the inside, because of its DNA. And it takes a fundamental change. It would take a fundamental change in its DNA to begin to produce different fruit. It's not just a matter of deciding uh, to produce something else. This this tree was created to produce figs, and it's not producing anything. It's not what it ought to be. So it's it, you know there's it's not the parable. I mix my metaphors a little bit. It's not um, it's not a fig tree now trying to produce olives or something like that. It's um, but it's not what it ought to be, and it's the care of the vine dresser, uh, the nurture of the vine dresser, uh, that is going to uh, that is going to change that. It um. 
it requires an internal uh, change and uh, healthy healthy uh, nutrition and it is and it's actually um, it doesn't have anything to do with the tree. The tree is really passive in this equation. Um, it's really the uh, the intervention of the vine dresser on the tree's behalf before the judgment of the master uh, that makes all the difference. In Matthew uh, three and four, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus both begin their ministry by saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." So both of them also uh, call for repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And um, again, if it was um, uh, if it was on us, clean up your act for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's that's really the way that uh, the world works. But repentance is not um, reformation. Repentance has to do with the care and the nurture uh, of the vine dresser. So how does that, what is, what is repentance? What is a good definition of it? Repentance is self-judgment. Uh, judge yourself to be in need of a Savior. Uh, judge yourself uh, to be fruitless. Have an honest assessment of yourself on your own before God. Not that you don't have skills and gifts and uh, wonderful talents and you're uh, super kind to people that you love. But before the Lord in the sense that we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves, that we cannot fulfill what we have been called to be and created to be without the care and the nurture uh, of the vine dresser. To remove the things to pr- uh, that need removing, to, to prune, uh, to give us uh, himself what we need. Uh, not that we might clean up our, our act, but that he might uh, clean up our act for us. Judge yourself to be in need of a Savior for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that makes a lot more sense. Why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because Jesus was on the scene. Because Jesus had, had come. Where is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is wherever uh, God is on the throne, wherever He's the king. And so, if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then clean up your act. What is that? Again, that's just that's a that's a... Uh, mentality that says that he's out to get me, he's going to punish me. I need to—it's all on me. I need to look, and that is the way. That's the way the world works. But the way that the, that Christianity works: judge yourself to be in need of a savior, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Unless you all judge yourselves to be in need of a savior, you will all likewise perish. And that just makes a lot more sense theologically. Unless you acknowledge your sin uh, and throw yourself at the mercy of the, at the vine dresser and his uh, tending to you, uh, then you will all likewise perish. Um, H.A. Ironside, uh, he was a, a preacher and a, a, he wrote some commentaries back in the 50s. And I should have brought it in here. He wrote, there's a book in the library that Frank uh, recommends all the time. And it's a great little book. It's called Unless You Repent. It's a green book. And... Um, and I was re- I was reading it one time. Like I, he actually gave it to me right before I came. It was called here, and I was uh, trying to read it before I came. And that we were at the pool because we had a, uh, about a month off. And I I would like hide it, you know, because I didn't want people to see I was reading something called "Unless You Repent." Like it seemed like so such a um, <laughs> um, so, you know it just seems sort of I don't know, intimidating. But it's a great little book. And he says uh, repentance is not a meritorious act 
or a wrought-up temperamental or emotional experience. Repentance is a new attitude definitely taken towards sin and God, which results in a readiness to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save the soul. So it's a, it is a change. Uh, repentance does mean to, um, to turn around, but it really has much more to do with turning around your, your attitude. And it's not, um, it, it's not just an attitude adjustment, which you know, if, I, if I could make those happen in my, in my household, both with m- myself and my kids, they, they would be, I, would, I would do it right away, but we, we have such a hard time doing that. And so um, it's not just an attitude adjustment about, um, you know, put on a good face, but it's an attitude adjustment about yourself before God and about God himself. Um, so it's a change of attitude taken towards sin and towards God, which results in the readiness to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save the soul. He says, it is God who gives repentance unto life. But we may say that repentance comes, like faith itself, by hearing the word of God. And therefore, man is responsible to heed that word, to face it honestly, and thus allow it to do its own work in the heart and conscience. It is that, it is this, that brings one to an end of himself and prepares the soul to trust alone in the finished work of Christ and so to be saved by free, unmerited grace. So, it is our responsibility to heed the word of God. Uh, to face it honestly, and it's this. I mean, you try to read the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's, there's nothing but truth in the Sermon on the Mount. And then try to do the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it'll take about three seconds for you to figure out that, that you can't do that. And and it drives us to um, to the end of ourselves, uh, so that we are able to say, uh, Lord, save me, uh, tend me, and and um, and let you know you give yourself to the mercy of the vine dresser. Well. Um, these people uh, here that Jesus was talking to, again, it was completely outside their, um, it was completely outside of their understanding of repentance, their, out, uh, their understanding uh, of judgment. Um, and they didn't know how to recognize that on their own before God they needed a Savior. Uh, because they had been told, you know, all their life. This, it was just an, a, an extraordinary paradigm shift. I think even more so than it is uh, for us, for them, for Jews who have been taught all their lives and for generations and generations uh, to follow the law, and um, even though Abraham was accepted, uh, given accepted by faith, and all through, um, all through the, uh, they were always accepted by grace through faith, and yet the law is so um, such a part of their their culture and their life that they were uh, they were caught. I mean, they they tried to follow that, and it was so, so easy. For them to think and understand that if they just follow the law, that God would uh, accept them, rather than see the law as something given by grace, uh, and just sort of a, a, the way that life works best. Um, it's not a it's not a one-time act, and that's that's an important thing to say. That the repentance isn't a one-time act where you repent and you become a Christian, and then God says, "I'll see you in the next 80 years or so when you when you come to be with me." The repentance really uh, is. Uh, continually judging yourself to be in need of a Savior, uh, daily, minute by minute, uh, even. And I, I think about you know much more now as a as a Christian. I've been a Christian for uh, 20 years, uh, 22 years, I guess. Um, and and I, I repent so much more now than I, than I did when I was a 15 year old kid. You know that I 
um, that I understand uh, the more you know about uh, Christ, the more you see yourself uh, as a sinner, the more you see yourself as a, as a redeemed and saved uh, Christian. Which is not to say you're always beating yourself up, uh, carrying a whip around, but that you are actually just uh, more and more awed by the grace of God. Because the, the more deeply you see uh, your own your own sin, the more uh, amazing His His grace is. It's a lifestyle. Uh, repentance is not, uh, as, we, as Ironside said, meritorious. It's not something uh, that you do that earns more favor, but it's a, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, repentance isn't saving. Because, you know, to say, to judge, repentance is to judge yourself to be in need of a Savior. To say, you know, I'm covered with mud is not the same thing as taking a shower. Um, and so, what saves us is, is the cross of Christ. Now, what Mark does, uh, I mean, Luke does, um, in this passage, uh, really, really skillfully, I think, and, and, um, and if we're not looking for it, we could miss it. And not only does he put the, um, the fig tree, which seems to be, the parallel fig tree seems to be in the same conversation that he was in, but he gives us this, this next um, picture, sort of episode out of Jesus' life, which probably wasn't right after um, the same conversation. But if if we could uh, finish that up, um, somebody can read this last that last paragraph. Somebody do that. I'll read it. Yeah, great. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for eighteen years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, "Woman, you are free from your disability." And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Okay. So two two people sort of highlighted and, and contrasted the disabled woman uh, and the upright uh, ruler of the synagogue. Isn't it interesting how um, he's upright? I mean, he's the ruler of the synagogue. He's, he follows the law, and she's not upright. Literally, that she is she is uh, bent over and unable to straighten herself. He follows the law. Uh, he's the elder brother. He uh, in the you know in the parable of the prodigal son. He he's done it all right all his life. He's done everything that's been asked of him. Uh, and he is indignant that the rules aren't followed, that um, that Jesus he would heal this woman on the Sabbath day. She, on the other hand, uh, is is bent over, and I love that phrase. She's unable to straighten herself. And I think uh, Luke very, did that very deliberately, coming right on the heels of talking about judgment and repentance, because she is uh, she is bent over, and he and. And it is the vine dresser, Jesus, who comes and says uh, simply with a word, Woman, 
uh, you are freed from your disability. And she is in Christ because of the word of Christ over her, able to, to stand. And she was made. She was immediately made straight. I mean, that, that's a you know think about that uh, from a standpoint of righteousness. I and mean, that's a remarkable uh, statement. She was she was crooked. She was hunched over, and um, and then she was made straight, and she glorified God. And uh, and that's uh, that's repentance. She came to him in her hunched over state. And it was his word over her that um, that raised her, and, and yet she's put in direct opposition to the one who tried to straighten himself, uh, who was uh, doing it on his own, who was following the law, who was in every sense good uh, by the law standards, and yet uh, had no relationship with the Father. If you've read, you've probably read um, the the Prodigal God by Tim Keller, or you've heard a sermon about the younger brother versus the elder brother, and the younger brother comes, I mean, he acknowledges his sin, and actually he comes into the feast. There's this great feast, and the elder brother, um, who's done everything right, says, you know, he refuses to come into the feast. And in fact, the parable ends with the father pleading for this upright um, son who's done all the right things, everything that's ever been asked of him, but apparently has always been in it for himself and has no relationship with the father. And the father's begging him to come into the feast. And the parable ends. And we don't know if he came in. Now, most of us have a little of both. Um, some tend to be a little more younger brother, a little bit of elder brother in there. I'm I'm the opposite. I have a probably a younger younger brother's uh, heart, but I was always too scared uh, to get in trouble, so uh, was pretty self righteous about being an elder brother. Uh, and so I, I'm much more like the the upright ruler of the synagogue. You know, just naturally in my own inclination, uh, wanted to do it. Uh, myself, but uh, but very much so. Like this woman, repentance is a posture that we have uh, in our day-to-day life—a posture of repentance. Uh, it's an uh, honest acknowledgement that we are uh, crouched uh, low before the Lord, and it's His place uh, for Him to lift us up. And um, and so that's really what I want to say. There's such grace. It's not a. Um, it's not something that we have to. Uh, do just once a week in the general confession. It's not something that we do just once when we sort of become a Christian or come to faith or um, renew our commitment to the Lord, but it's really just a, it's a daily thing. We're before the Lord. We are acknowledging our um, unworthiness, uh, but finding such great joy that He has made us worthy. Uh, Frank said today, uh, I think his ser- sermon was great, and, and um, talks about the passage from Peter, you know, that uh, the righteous... He died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. And it just, I think the more that we acknowledge our sinfulness before the Lord, uh, the more joy we have in knowing uh, our Savior who has given us uh, Himself and who's traded places with us. And um, it just makes us in awe of grace. Um, usually, uh, three pages of notes is about 45 minutes. So today it's, uh, it was only about 30, so maybe 35. Uh, any, any, uh, any, Follow up, any thoughts, any questions or thoughts about how to apply this, what this might look like in your life, or in someone you know, not your own life, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have this friend. Yeah. Um, in the last part, mm-hmm. Jesus' reason for healing the woman on the Sabbath is because other people also do work on the Sabbath. Does not really make sense to me? Can we say that again? So, 
when they ask him why he's doing work on the Sabbath, he just calls them hypocrites. He doesn't. Oh yeah, thanks for thanks for pointing that out. He didn't. Um, I, I don't think he said I'm doing this because you also do work. But but the fact is, there he's saying that they um, they do work, but they're getting mad at him for for doing work. And so he, that's that's the hypocrisy of it. He's trying to follow the letter of the law. The letter of the law says don't lift a finger, and they do lift a finger because it's convenient for themselves. Um, and they overlook they overlook that, and that's the typical elder brother. That's the, the typical one who, who we we uh, we do sort of break the law, we um, but we just interpret it in our favor. We kind of overlook our own um, peccadillos and and things, and, and really are able to hone in in judgment. That's the uh, we don't we see the speck in our brother's eye without seeing the the log in our own eye. Um, but so so yeah, I think that um, I mean it's easy on one sense to. Uh, to take this passage about the the, uh, the woman with the that was crouched over, and the if you just take that on its own, then we can we would certainly see that um, you could talk about legalism versus you know law versus grace, and we could talk about um, hypocrisy and and uh, the freedom that we have uh, in Christ. But to take this in the sort of the grand the context, the more immediate context around it, I think it really um, is intentionally a picture of of repentance. Maybe not a direct picture. Um, and I, but I think also that, that Luke put it there on purpose. Yeah. Does that help? Is that yeah? But thanks. And what else? You know, a couple of years ago there was a speaker during the Lenten lunches, and I will never forget when he said that it's a good thing that Jesus has double vision, hmm. in that he can see us the way we are but yet he has the potential to see us as we can be. And I was just kind of reminded of that when you were discussing the parable of the fig tree. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure how that exactly ties into repentance, but mm-hmm. um, thanks be to God, Jesus does have double vision and that, um, <clears throat> that he can lead us from where we are when we acknowledge mm-hmm. our sinful nature to where he exactly yeah, now I th- you know, as you bring that up, it, it, I guess the, you know the thought that I have had. I've been absolutely glued to the television for the last week, as many of you may have with the Olympics. I just am so uh, awed. I mean, I just love the Olympics, and it's all about human achievement, and it's all about uh, you know human uh, greatness, and that's okay with me because I just think it's great. Uh, but Jesus, um, you know, you hear so many times that oh, they, you know, in Athens they they failed, and so they spent seven years, eight years coming back, and um, you know that's really motivated them. Jesus isn't where I'm going with all that. Jesus isn't saying that I'm going to help you reach your full potential. Basically, says that you stand. You know, he's not saying I'm going to. Okay, you you you're not really doing what you ought to do. I'm going to kind of bring you along a little bit so you can really do. It's it's all about the care and nurture. And you so you're right. You, you, is it is we have potential in Christ for for what uh, we're created to be, and yet um, and yet on our own without His His tender uh, tending and care we um, we're going to stand face judgment. So so yeah, He He does see us for what we're created to be, but but it's really only able to be there because He's given it to us. Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
Right. I, that is, yeah, that's that's basically what what he says. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, the further you get into the Christian life, um, and and see yourself, see the word as a mirror, and see see how it um, how, how much we need a savior, the more and all we are. That's right, because we are far more simple than we ever could imagine, and far more love than we could have ever imagined, ever dreamed. So, absolutely. Anything else? All right. Go in, go in peace. Love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.